0: Good morning, welcome to this Good Friday service. It is wonderful to see you here this morning and to those who are joining us online, I also want to extend a welcome. We're really pleased to have you also as part of this service today. I came across this app this week. The app is called We Croak and each day, five times a day, it sends out a notification that simply says, don't forget, you're going to die. And that gives you the option to read a quote: "The messages are sent at random times and at any moment, just like death." The founders of this app were inspired by a famous Bhutanese folk saying, which, which asserts that to be a truly happy person, one must contemplate death five times daily." Now the basic idea, is that the more we're reminded about the inevitability of death, the more we will smell the flowers and appreciate every moment of life. The co-founder of this app says this, one of the things that makes us most unhappy is we tend to get caught up in things that don't matter. We tend to get caught up in so much that is petty, or in the stress, or in the tons of things that ultimately aren't that important to us. And when we remember our own mortality, we can take a deep breath and just go, ah, I don't have time to think about this. I don't have time to engage in that. I don't have time to waste my time. And so we move on. I, of course, had to download this app to my phone this week. And sure enough, five times a day, a sound would come from my phone and there on my screen were the words, Don't forget, you're going to die. And then open for a quote. I'm not sure that this has made me happier. (laughs) But before you quickly dismiss this app and the idea behind it, or maybe even think how ridiculous it is, I would ask you to please consider how it might look to someone who has no prior knowledge of Christianity that Christians like you and me gather on a special day to remember what we watched a few minutes ago. Or that Sunday by Sunday in many Christian churches... We take time and we engage in a ritual called communion that basically retells and reminds us that Jesus died. I wonder what those outside the faith make of our committed focus on death, his death. So can I ask you, why are you here this morning? What is it about this day that has meant that you'd get up early on a public holiday, a long weekend, and choose to come to church? Why do we put so much attention, so much focus, on that part of Jesus' life? There is no question that Jesus' death on the cross seemed incredibly important to the earliest followers of Jesus. We only have to look at the writings of four of his key disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. These four men wrote about the life, the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we have recorded in the first four books of the New Testament their accounts of what happened. I like the way that Philip Yancey in The Jesus I Never Knew speaks about what's recorded in those first four books. He says this, When I began studying theology and church history, and as I reread and reread the Gospels, I learned that the biblical record slows down rather than speeds up when we get to the Holy Week. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, said one early Christian commentator, are chronicles of Jesus' final week. It's the chronicles of the final week of Jesus' life With increasingly longer introductions. The Gospels devote nearly one third of their length to that last week of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saw the death as the central mystery of Jesus. Only two of the Gospels mention the events of Jesus' birth, and all four offer a few pages on the resurrection. But each of those writers gives a detailed account of the events leading up to Jesus' death, and then they give a, a very gruesome, at times, description of what happened on the cross. So this morning we're going to take some time right now together to read one of those accounts. We're going to turn to Matthew and we're going to hear his account. We're looking at Matthew chapter 27. And by this time, Jesus has already been betrayed. He's already been judged. He's been condemned and he's been flogged. And we pick up the story at verse 27 of chapter 27. The soldiers that were assigned to the governor took Jesus into the governor's palace and they got the entire brigade together for some fun. They stripped him. And they dressed him in a red robe. They plaited a crown of thorns from branches and set it on his head. They put a stick in his right hand for a scepter. And then they knelt before him in mocking reverence. Bravo, king of the Jews, they said, bravo. And then they spit on him and hit him on the head with the stick when they had had their fun, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes back on him. And then they proceeded out to the crucifixion. Along the way, they came upon a man from Cyrene named called Simon and they made him carry Jesus' cross. Arriving at Golgotha, a place they called Skull Hill, they offered him a mild painkiller, a mixture of wine and myrrh. But when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. After they had finished nailing him to the cross. And while they were waiting for him to die, they killed time by throwing dice for his clothes. Above his head, they had posted the criminal charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Along with him, they also crucified two criminals. One to his right, the other to to his left. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. You bragged that you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. So show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from that cross. The high priests, along with the religion scholars and teachers, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others. He can't even save himself. King of Israel? Then let him get down from that cross. We'll all become believers then. He was so sure of God, well, let him rescue his son now, if he wants him. He did claim to be God's son, didn't he? Even the two criminals crucified next to him joined in the mockery. From noon till three, the whole earth was dark. Around mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some bystanders who heard him said, he's calling for Elijah. One of them ran and got a sponge soaked in sour wine and lifted it on a stick so he could drink. The others joked, don't be in such a hurry. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. But Jesus Again, crying out loudly, breathed his last. Son of God died on planet Earth. And some of us know that story. We know it so well. We've heard it many times. We've read it numerous times. We've been reminded of that story through numerous communion talks. However, the problem can be for someone like me that I can know that story in detail. I can talk about that story and the implications of that story and the implications for me. And yet I can remain unaffected. I can know it. I can teach it. I can say it's a big deal. But if it no longer affects me at any level, then that is something that I need to address Brennan Manning was a Christian author who wrote many books and his writings have helped and encouraged many in their search to know God better, including me. He wrote these words in his book, Abba's Child. The unaffected heart is one of the dark mysteries of human existence. It beats dispassionately in human beings with lazy minds and listless attitudes, unused talents and buried hopes. Years wasted in vain regrets, energies dissipated in haphazard relationships and projects. Passive before whatever experiences the day brings. They are like snoring sleepers who resent having their peace disturbed. They they live on borrowed emotions, stumbling through the corridors of time like shipboard drunks, never tasting of life deeply enough to be the saint's. Or sinners. I want to say sincerely and honestly, I often come to God and ask for His help. I want God to help me so that I don't become unaffected, passive, by the story of His Son dying for me. Jesus Christ dying on the cross is not some mere theological precondition for salvation. He is God's enduring word to the world saying, see how much I love you. See how much you must love one another. In February 1941, Father Maximilian Kolbe, a Catholic priest, was arrested by the Gestapo. And after a brief interment in a notorious Polish prison, he was sent to Auschwitz concentration camp and he was branded Prisoner 16670. Colby had been the leader of a group of Francescan priests who had protected and hidden Jews. It is estimated that they saved the lives of 2,000 Jews. And Colby and his priests also had published material that openly criticized the Nazi regime. Colby was taken to Auschwitz and he was placed in Barracks 14. To discourage escapes, Auschwitz had a rule that if any man escaped, 10 prisoners would be killed in response. In July 1941, the Nazis thought a man from Colby's barracks had escaped. Later on, it was found that that escaped prisoner had actually drowned in the camp latrine. But at that time, they thought a man was missing. And so the deputy commandant of Auschwitz, Karl Fritz, ordered 10 men to be chosen from that barracks. And those 10 men would be starved to death in an underground bunker. These men were lined up from the barracks and the Nazis went around and randomly picked out ten men and dragged them to the front. As one of the selected men, Francesca Giannetti, was dragged forward, he cried out, my wife, my children. At this point, Father Colby stepped forward. Usually anyone breaking rank would be beaten down. But for some reason on that day Colby made it forward and he stopped before the Nazi commander Father Colby pointed with his hand to the condemned guy of Netsky and stated I want to take the place of this man he has a wife he has a family i have no one i am a catholic priest Surprisingly, the commander waved his hand, gesturing that Colby be taken and Gaiavnitsky released. Gaiavnitsky later said, I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on, the immensity of it. I was put back in my place without having time to say anything to Maximilian Colby. I was saved. The ten were taken away. They were stripped naked and they were placed in an underground bunker and they were left there without water or food to starve. On August the 1941, after many days in the bunker, Nazi soldiers found that four had not yet died, including the priest. And so they brought them out and injected them with poison. Father Maximilian Kolbe was executed on August 14, 1941, at the age of 47. His body was removed to a crematorium, and without dignity or ceremony, it was disposed of, like hundreds of thousands who had gone before him and hundreds of thousands who would follow. Goibnechke spent five years... Five months and nine days in Auschwitz. Prisoner number 5659 tattooed on his left arm. And somehow he survived. After his release, he and his wife Janina settled in a, a, a place in southern Poland. And they remained there until his death in March 1995. He died at 93 years of age. 53 years after the priest had saved him. Gajoneczki never forgot the priest. He spent the next five decades of his life paying homage to Father Colby. And every year on August 14, he would take time to deliberately and specifically and intentionally honour the man who had died for him. He travelled back to Auschwitz for many of those occasions. On many times on August 14, he was to be found in in the remnant of that camp, sitting silently and remembering the one who had saved him. It is said that he devoted much of his life to promoting the knowledge of this priest He spoke at churches right around the world. He wanted people to know about Maximilian Kolbe. His mission, as he put it, was to try to repay a debt. And he was present in Rome in 1982, when Pope Paul VI officially declared Father Maximilian Kolbe a saint of the Catholic Church. From interviews that he gave and the words that were spoken by his wife after his death, it was obvious that Guy of Nietzsche never got over what Colby did for him. It impacted him so deeply that he spoke about the fact that he had awareness of Colby for all of the years of his life. Guy of Nietzsche knew what it was to have someone die for him. Do you? It is one thing to know that Jesus died. It is another thing altogether to know that he died for you. And to let that truth affect your heart in such a way that you are utterly amazed that this man who claimed to be the very son of God and then backed it up by beating death would choose, knowing what awaited him, to take your place that he would choose to endure your punishment because God cannot not love you. Jesus' death makes it possible for God to take care of all there is that could separate you from him. He promises that if you will trust in this man, his son Jesus, and his death on the cross... He promises you complete forgiveness and life to the full now and forevermore. That's the hope that is offered because of the death of Jesus. And it only has to be accepted and received. Manning wrote these words. Good Friday reminds us that we're not going to be helped by power. Only by God's laying aside of his power for love of us. Power forces us to change. Only love can move us to change. Power affects behavior. Love affects the heart. And nothing on earth so moves the heart as suffering love. That is why the perfect expression of God's love for us is the dying figure of Jesus pleading for someone to moisten his burning lips. Today we remember that Jesus died. What I hope, what I really hope, is that you might come to believe and understand that he died for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that today you would soften our hearts. I pray that we would push aside those things that often get in the way of us really engaging with you. And for a few moments, I pray that you would help us to come to the foot of the cross and look up. And come to the point of understanding that he hung there for us. He hung there for me. And I pray, Lord, that that will impact us so deeply that we will never, ever get over it. Lord, I pray that you would help us grasp the extent of that love that you have for each of us. And we would live out of that. We thank you for your son. We thank you that today we have this opportunity to honour him and to honour the fact that he died for us. Lord, I pray that we will take this opportunity carefully and that you will help us. For we ask this please in Jesus' name.